Before we get into our message this morning, I want us to think about something that's a little foreign to our culture, this sheep and shepherd context, that we don't really have a lot of shepherds around here, but for God's people from Abel all the way through Jacob and Joseph, shepherding was a big part of the Jewish culture. I mean, they weren't they weren't fishermen by nature. That came along later in uh, Galilee. But throughout their history, Abraham was a herdsman. So this would have been the example that everyone would have understood. They knew this well. And it's a little foreign for our culture. So I just want to kind of set the stage and what we know about shepherding. Because a lot of what we think is kind of like 70s Jesus picture, you know, pearly white skin with a lamb around his neck, you know, just perfect makeup and perfect hair and all that. And these pictures of just nice shepherds who don't have a speck of dirt on them and all these perfect sheep. Now, let's be honest. I mean, this was a ruddy, dirty job. And sheep are kind of dirty, dumb animals. And so this is not as beautiful as we make it seem. I mean, this was one of the lowliest professions. They were with these animals. They were dirty. They were hairy. They were smelly. So it's interesting that our Lord chooses this as the predominant analogy of his relationship to us throughout scripture. I didn't realize until studying this week that sheep are the most mentioned animal throughout all of of scripture. And a couple things that's interesting for us to recognize before we get into our text. Sheep are completely dependent on a shepherd. Sheep would die without leadership because they spend their nights in a, a fold, a pen, but when they're let out during the day, they require constant supervision. The shepherd has to watch them. There are no leashes. There are no fences. And sheep tend to wander. Those those sayings don't exist by accident. And so the shepherd has to be very vigilant. And there's this intimate relationship with the shepherd because he didn't clock out at 5 p.m. and go home. He spent his entire life, many times, seven days a week with these sheep. And so he knew them. But one interesting character about sheep is that they do know the voice of their, their shepherd. There's even accounts of three or four shepherd, shepherds with three or four different herds grazing on the same pasture, and one shepherd calls and, and he tells them they need to go, and all of his sheep ears perk up. So even in a blended herd, they still know the voice of their shepherd. Kind of brings it home when Jesus said that my sheep hear my voice. Right? So there's this very intimate relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. And for a shepherd, it was a solitary and sacrificial job. There was no glory. No one was applauding your work at the end of the day. You had to be confident in your job and confident in the Lord, whether people recognize it or not. You also had to be caring for these lowly, dumb sheep and also courageous to put your life on the line like David did when the lions came and the bears came. You had to exercise authority over these sheep. You had to direct them and guide them, but yet do it with humility because sheep are never going to say thank you. And as we'll see later, they rarely listen when you give them direction. And so the shepherds in this culture and many cultures around the world, they are people of simplicity and yet steadfastness. Every day they go to work and they care for these sheep and They love these sheep in a way that the sheep can never appreciate and never recognize. No wonder when we get to the New Testament, 
The word for pastor is synonymous with shepherd. It is all of those things. And so, as we look to this psalm and to our example of what our great shepherd, our chief shepherd, our good shepherd does on our behalf, hopefully that gives us a picture of how much we are loved, how much we matter, and how important our shepherd is to us. Because it is amazing that sheep, by all accounts, are probably the dumbest animals on the planet. And yet these dumb, dirty, slow animals, our Lord describes himself as the shepherd of the sheep. Dealing with us, who can tend to be slow, dumb, and messy, and loves us in spite of it. And that is the context of the psalm we're going to get into this morning. And it is appropriate, because as we see throughout all of the history of Scripture, God's people are prone to wander. They see miracles, they see provision from the shepherd, and then they go off searching for their own greener pastures. And hopefully we'll see some parallels in our own lives and see how we can learn from this passage. So what picture does David give us? Let's turn to Psalm 23. Most of us have probably memorized this, probably read it more times than we can imagine. But I want us to think through it just line by line, thought by thought. Why is David using what he's using? What does it mean to us? Psalm 23, Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, even though throughout history your people have been wandering sheep. You didn't leave them to wander. You pursued them, you brought them home, and you put over them a shepherd. A shepherd who was willing to lay down his life so that they might live. Lord, as we walk through one of probably the most beloved psalm, and maybe one of the most beloved passages in all of Scripture, let it take new roots within our heart. Let us stir our affections for you. Let us recognize how loved and cared for we are by you. That is your people and your sheep. We are no longer identified as wanderers and slow and dumb and dirty, but as children, heirs, beloved brothers and sisters, the household of God. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And we thank you more than words can describe for our good shepherd, our chief shepherd, who is the example and the sacrifice for us. We pray everything in his holy name, the name of Jesus, the only name under heaven in which man can be saved. We pray this. Amen. Throughout the Psalms, the Psalms express a range of emotion, fear, doubt, worry, pain, 
celebration, rejoicing, contemplation. But this psalm is what would be classified as a confident psalm. And it's probably the most confident of all psalms. Because from beginning to end, there is no wavering. There is no doubt. David is sure of who the Lord is. There is not even a second where he fears. And it shows David's faith. And it shows as an example for us that when David can have faith in the Lord, we have that same Lord. Our confidence is not in our circumstances. Our confidence and our comfort is in our shepherd. And so hopefully we see the confidence in this and it will give believers confidence. It would give us comfort in who guides us, and who cares for us, who protects us, and who saves us. Other translations throughout history have said the Lord is my ruler or the Lord is my pastor. But shepherd is most appropriate here because as we'll see, this kind of walks through the day in, in the life of a shepherd. This is kind of like the shepherd's handbook. It gives a lot of different aspects of what goes into shepherding sheep. And on, on one level, it's, it's very practical. And on another level, it's deeper and it's more spiritual. And hopefully we'll be able to touch on both of those. But it's ultimately told about the chief shepherd. And we have the blessing of perspective. We're able to look back 3,000 years later and see Christ just jumping off the page in this. And David was looking forward, looking into heaven, seeing his shepherd, not even knowing Jesus specifically, but still praising his name and declaring his attributes prophetically. So let's get into verse 1. We all know this. The Lord is my shepherd. Step back to last week. We talked about the difference between uh, when we see God, G-O-D, as Elohim in Scripture. This is the creator God, the God of all things. And then we see Lord, all capitals, uh, which is Yahweh. It is the particular covenant God of Israel. The particular God who deals with his people in a way that he does not deal with the rest of the world. So when Jesus prays, the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying, Yahweh, the great I am. The God who knows his sheep by name is my shepherd. So that's how David starts. And this is kind of unique because throughout Israel's history, they were talked about in general senses. My people, my flock. So God would talk about them in a general nature. But David approaches God here on an individual basis. David approaches God in a way that, that few do throughout Scripture on a very personal level. David, that man after God's own heart, recognizes the intimate and imminent. Remember we got that last week. The very presence of God that he dwells in. He recognizes that God is not distant from me. He is my shepherd. It is personal for David. And in a sense, the shepherd is praying to his shepherd. From the posture of a sheep. I love all of the complexity of that. Because we know David as this young shepherd. But then to see him approach his shepherd as a sheep. Shows us where his heart is. And shows us a great example on how we are to approach God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. This is probably more accurately Describe as I will lack nothing. You know, sheep contribute nothing on their own. 
Sheep are not telling the, the, the shepherd where the best pasture is. The sheep are not repaying the shepherd for what he does. They cannot protect or guide themselves. But yet, when they are driven by a good shepherd, they lack nothing. They do not lack for protection. They do not lack for provision. They do not lack for guidance. I want us to think about this morning as we walk through this. The Yahweh, the great I am. I am means he lacks nothing within himself. There is nothing missing. All perfections are summed up in him. He lacks nothing. And he is our shepherd. When he guides us, we lack nothing. You ever think about that? The God of all creation, who all things are sustained in him, is our shepherd. Do we believe this? Do we live like this? And if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times we, we know these things in our mind, but yet we live our lives as if God isn't enough. As if we have to rest on our own strength. As if, yeah, I know you have all things, but I still got to make it on my own. If he's truly our shepherd, if he's truly as good as he says he is, and he is, then in him we lack nothing. And we're going to see that this morning. Because as David approaches his shepherd, David's shepherd is our shepherd. This is a personal conversation between David and God. But this is not so far from us to where we, we can't step in and see the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want because he guides me. He provides for me. He protects me. So what does David mean by lacking nothing? One, in verse two, we see this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The shepherd is the leader and the guide. He directs the sheep. Now, this is one of those things we just gloss over. He makes me lie down. Oh, it's easy. You get this nice, pretty green pasture. Makes me lie down. Let's move on. Uh, there's a fascinating book by Philip Keller. Uh, he's a, a pastor who was also a shepherd for eight years. And so he brings a unique perspective to this text. So he wrote an entire book on it uh, called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And he talks about how difficult it is to get a sheep to lie down. Because sheep are fidgety, scared creatures. And all the circumstances have to be in order to get them to lie down. He says there are four things that will prohibit a sheep from lying down. Let's look at these and see if any of these sound familiar. In order for a sheep to rest, they must be free of fear. If there's any predator in the area, if there's a storm coming, if there's thunder, and they're shaking, they will not lie down. So first you have to overcome that. They also will not lie down if there's any friction, if there's any infighting amongst the sheep. If they're going at each other, if they're fighting over the same tuft of grass, they will not lie down. So you've got to stop any conflict between the sheep if there are any pests insects if there are flies if there are bugs they will try they, they will stomp around and run in circles trying to get rid of these and they will not lie down until you get rid of the pests the fourth thing is 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 hunger we all understand this i'm irritable if i don't eat and if they have not eaten enough that they have not drank enough they will not lie down so for a shepherd, it's to get rid of their fear, 
Get rid of their, their friction, get rid of the pests, and get rid of hunger, and then they can lie down. Sometimes it feels like that's us. Has that ever been you? Because I know that's me. I mean, do you ever feel like you can't rest until all is well? Until all of your circumstances are kind of put in order? And how often can we just rest in the presence of the Lord? Or how many of us are so burned out by stresses and pressures and worry and responsibility that we don't even know what true rest looks like? We're overcome with fear, with friction, with these irritants, with hunger, with our our needs that we can't rest. Does our rest depend on the Lord or does it depend on our circumstances? Do all of your outward situations need to be in order in order for you to rest? Here's what's amazing about this psalm. The first thing we need to understand is that the Lord is our shepherd. The second thing we need to understand is that we can rest in him. Now the rest of this starts to make sense. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down because I lack nothing in him. This is a beautiful reminder, this intimate relationship that we have. And David puts this out in the forefront. He leads me beside still waters, makes me lie down. And when he he leads me, it's in peace. It's in stillness. I don't have to worry about what's going on because to me, when I'm with my Lord, the waters are still. The world is calm. There's this great Jewish saying that I found that I love, that they encourage their people to celebrate Passover in the sense that when the Lord led them out of Egypt, that he led them each by the hand, one by one. Celebrate Passover like your Lord had you by the hand and walked you out of Egypt. This is a great parallel of the Exodus, of the shepherd intimately caring for his sheep, bringing them out. And I love how Psalm 78 gets this perfectly. Psalm 78, 52 says, Then he led his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Psalm 78 is retelling the Exodus. And this is the Lord, the shepherd, leading his people out like a flock. And we should have this perception, this perspective of our shepherd leading us by the hand, intimately. He knows us by name, leading us out from our sins, leading us into rest. Because in that, if we can rest in the Lord, if we know that there is peace and stillness in him, it is a restoration of our soul. He restores or revives my soul. This is kind of like swimming in the summer. When it is so hot, you just want to peel your, your, your skin off, right? But you jump in the water, and it's like my soul is revived. I, I feel this water coming over me. I, I feel this entire change in my body. My soul is revived. This is not just water of a swimming hole. This Water, this still water, is living water. The water of which we drink, again, that harkens back to Psalm 1, that tree planted by the water that drinks of this and is revived and is restored. And it makes us think of the woman in the well who just wants to get a drink. 
and is embarrassed because she's in the heat of the day. She can't be around the other women. And Jesus lovingly offers her living water. She's just looking for a drink to get past the heat of the day. And he's saying, I have water in which you will never thirst again. Water that is a spring welling up to eternal life. Drink of that. Your soul will be restored. And once your soul is restored, we can be led into paths of righteousness. This, in verse 3, is, is more, it can be described as right paths. And we spend a lot of time talking about the narrow way. Those who he gives peace and those who he restores, he leads them on the narrow way. He uh, guides them on the straight and narrow. Why do sheep need to be guided? Well, we touched on this. But we're going to get into it a little bit more. Sheep are dumb. They need to be guided. Um, it, some of the things that I read about sheep is just fascinating to me. Why do they need to be guided on the right paths? Because they can be led to lush fields in clean water, and they will wander off to dust bowls and mud puddles. They're quick to forget the guidance and the direction of the shepherd. The shepherd will point them in the right direction, and they will wander off time and time again. They are creatures of habit. If they find a tuft of grass they like, they will go back over and over and over again. So they've eaten all of the green, so they've eaten the roots, until they're then nibbling at pebbles and dirt. Without the guidance of the shepherd, they will sit there eating dirt, until they are directed to green pastures. They require more care and attention than any other animal. Sound familiar? No? Are you the exception? Because <laughs> I know every one of those things I have to check myself on all the time. How many times has the Lord led me to green pasture and I choose dirt and stubble? How many times has he given me encouragement in living water and I choose the mud puddles of my own making? How many times have I heard his voice? How many times has he told me in his word where the right paths are? And I take my own. There's a reason that Jesus talks about lost sheep. Because it applies across the board. Isaiah gives us this picture in Isaiah 53.6. This text of Isaiah 53 is the suffering servant. We hear that uh, we, we read this um, many times, you know, usually around Easter, of, of Jesus, the suffering servant, bearing our, our, our transgressions. But listen to what he describes as those, those people needing saving in Isaiah 53, 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah said, all we... Like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And we need a shepherd. But we also need a shepherd who's a savior. Because that wandering isn't just missing the mark. Just wandering off a little bit. Just wandering in, unto death. But thank God that our shepherd is also our savior. Because without Christ... We wander off into these things. Without Christ, 
we continue to make the same mistakes over and over and over again without Christ, we are still lost. But in Christ, we are sheep of his fold. We are sheep of his flock who is guided by his spirit and who is taught good lessons and who are forgiven when we wander off. And why does he provide for us and guide us? Why does he love us and grow us and save us? The end of verse 3, for his name's sake. Should you think about how good God is for a moment? That for the sake of his name, for the glory of his name, he cares for us. He sent his son for us. He redeemed us for his name in such a way that when it brings God glory, it's good for us. Many times we think that God's glory is at odds with us. It's all right. I can either worship God or I can do what I want to do. But David gets this. For his name's sake, he redeemed us in such a way that it is automatically in our best interest, in better interest than if we look out for ourselves first. Because in God's glory, there is more blessing and there is more provision and there is more guidance and there is more abundance than we could ever store up for ourselves in as many lifetimes as we can imagine. Think about that. That the God of all glory saves us to bring him glory and it ultimately ends up being the best blessing that we could never ask for. It's just amazing that all this is done for his name's sake. And it doesn't leave out the tough times. Because even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, this valley of the shadow of death is deepest valley, darkest valley. Um, again, we're walking through a day in the life of a shepherd here. Think about hill, mountain country uh, in, the, in the Middle East. You've got plains, you've got uh, mountains, you've got hills. And many times where the prime feeding area was is separated by mountains. So when you would feed in this pasture and get everything you could from here, you'd have to travel between the mountains to get to other pastures. And so this, this valley of the shadow of death, or deepest valley, is the bottom of where, these, where two mountains would meet. It'd be this um, very thin path that you, you'd have to walk through and bring your, your herd through. And it was dark, because the sun wouldn't shine down there. And it was a perfect place for animals to ambush you, for predators to jump in. For thieves to rob. And so this lonely shepherd, these stupid sheep, is walking through this crevice and he fears no evil. For you are with me. I love how this changes here. A lot of times we read this and we don't recognize that the first three verses he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. He's speaking in the the, the third person. He restores my soul. He leads me. But when it comes to the darkness, you are with me. It becomes second person. It becomes personal. It becomes this general hymn for the first three verses and then this personal address from this point out. You lead me. It becomes even more intimate in the midst of the darkness. No fear in death. It's crazy to the world. I love the way uh, Donald, Donald Barnhouse illustrates this. He's a uh, pastor. Um, if you've ever read anything by his, it's just very 
Very practical, very heartfelt. It gives a great illustration here in one of the worst times of his life. He had two small children and his wife died. They were on the way to the funeral. And his daughter is beside herself crying in the back seat. And the brilliant pastor that he was, as they're driving, this semi-truck comes by. And you know when you're driving and a semi comes by and it shakes the car a little bit, kind of stirs you? He asks his daughter as she's sitting in the back, would you rather get hit by the shadow of that bus or the bus itself? Man. He's telling his daughter that for the Christian, death is not the truck because it is not final. Death is the shadow of that truck. It seems like the truck hits you, but it's only the shadow. And we get this in this passage, the valley of the shadow of death. It wasn't death for David. It was confidence for David. It's not death for those of us who are in Christ. It's confidence for us because it's only the shadow of death. The shadow is not final for us. Jesus got hit by the truck so that the shadow could pass over us. We sang earlier, in Christ alone, there's no guilt in life, no fear in death. Because death is just a shadow to us. Death is not final. If that doesn't give you confidence in the Lord, I don't know what will. Amen? Amen. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is another uh, part of the, the, the shepherding lexicon that's not really familiar to us. What is a rod and a staff? Well, just real quickly, a rod was a club or a, a piece of, of iron that they would use for protection. If an animal came, they could beat a lion with it. It would also be used to correct a, uh, a sheep. When they brought them into the, the, the fold at, at night, uh, they would bring them in one by one with the rod so they could, they could count them. It was correction and it was protection, the rod. The staff, we've seen those, the little hook-shaped pieces of, of branch. I don't know what, what trees make hook-shaped staffs. Um, they call it a, a crook. Um, maybe that was just added later on, one of those uh, later uh, additions. But that was for direction. That was to direct the sheep and to corral them. So you've got correction and protection with the rod and, and direction with the crook. And so these two tools were used, the only two tools that the shepherd went out with. And maybe like David, he had a slingshot. Uh, but this was pretty typical of what the shepherd would go out with. And to David, those are a comfort. Because he knows even these rudimentary tools in the hands of the Lord are all the protection he needs. And his comfort is in the Lord. Then there's this great transition in our text. It seems like we're stepping out of the shepherd metaphor to verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So we're kind of transitioning a little bit here from shepherdly protection to kingly feast. You prepare a table. There's imagery of abundance and great feasting here. When you prepare a table, when you anoint with oil, when your cup is running over, that is a host or a king providing for an honored guest. And so in the same way that our shepherd provides for us and, and, and guides for us in a personal way, there's also this abundance. There's this celebration and this is a direct reference to David's kingship. This is what would have happened at David's coronation. That while Saul and his family 
uh, there were still remnants of those who didn't want David to be king. He was anointed. The table set before him was set by the Lord. And so David is reflecting on his shepherd anointing him as king. His king anointing him as king. This is also a spiritual lesson to believers. Because this anointing, this is when the anointed kings are also priests. In the New Testament, we are called uh, priests. We are a nation of, of priests. And this anointing was for God's people to minister in his name. And welcomed into his banquet. And provided with cups that are, that are brimming over. Abundance. Um, olive oil had so many different uses. I mean, it was used for these anointings, for, for blessings, for healings. Believe it or not, when I was looking up how to get rid of a black eye real quick, olive oil was one of those things that they massaged with olive oil. I mean, they used olive oil for a lot of different uses back then. I guess it helped because it wasn't as black as it could have been. Um, but this also has double meaning. Uh, going back to Philip Keller, this pastor uh, shepherd who wrote a book about shepherding in Psalm 23 tells about the high table lands. Uh, this is really interesting to me. I'd never heard this before. That as a shepherd, um, the, the choice lands uh, were usually the ones that got the most rain and, and, and they were high. And you could only get them in the, the, the real peak seasons. But before going there, they were off, uh, they were off the uh, beaten path, so to speak. You had to prepare them for the sheep. You had to get rid of the poisonous plants that the sheep would eat without knowing. You have to make sure there was no predators there. You have to get rid of anything that would cause these sheep to stumble. So there's another sense in which the shepherd continues to prepare these tablelands for his sheep. And then also, anointing, uh, one of the uses for olive oil was it was actually used uh, to protect sheep. They mixed it with sulfur and spices, and they would rub it on sheep who had cuts or who had insect bites for them to heal, and it actually worked as a natural insect repellent. So in the same way that God, our king, provides this feast and table of anointing for us, he also provides the choice lands for us. And he anoints us with oil for our protection, to get rid of pests and to heal our wounds. Just amazing, this, this picture of all the way that God provides for us. I mean, either way we interpret this, this is kingdom provision in our present reality. These are eternal blessings that we enjoy today and that we can rest in because they're true. They're true for David and his shepherd. And they're true for us because we have the same shepherd. Trusting in the Lord as our shepherd, he leads, he protects, and he provides an abundant feast. And in that context, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This word surely can even be only, only goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Think about that. This is a unique application for God's people. The beloved only have good things in their Lord. Wait, but what about all these other things? If we are able to rest in God like David rests in God, no matter what goes on around us, we can see that God is good. God is merciful. Mercy here is a steadfast love that is unchanging, that is particular for his people. He loves us in such a way that he knows us by name. He loves us in such a way that his goodness and his mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. When they say follow here, it's not trailing behind. 
This is an active following. This is a pursuit. This is dogs nipping at your, your, your heels. I kind of stole that from the Scottish preacher. His name is Alton McHenron. He's definitely Scottish. Um, and he says, the Lord is my shepherd, and he has two fine collie dogs. I wish I had a good Scottish accent, but I don't. I wish Sean Connery could do this for me. The Lord is my shepherd, and he has two fine collie dogs, goodness and mercy. They will see us safely home. And the Scottish people, think, I think they know a little bit about shepherding and a little bit about sheep. And I love this, this picture of these active, excited sheep dogs who will not let these sheep stray. Goodness on one side and mercy on the other. We, we wander off, God's goodness brings us home. We stumble over here, his mercy lifts us up. And where is their protection? In the flock. In the presence of the Lord. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord is his very presence. And where is his presence? Where his people are gathered, worshiping. There is protection in the flock. That's why it is so important to be a part of the body of Christ. Because there is safety in numbers. There is protection in us. We are not meant to be that wandering sheep on our own who tries to get through life in our own strength without our shepherd. Our shepherd and his collie dogs of goodness and mercy lead us back home into his presence. And that is the goal of the Christian, to dwell in his presence. And we dwell in his presence now because we are filled with his Holy Spirit. When we come together, we are spiritual people with a spiritual bond who reflect in the presence of the Lord. And yet there's a sense in which this is just a glimmer of the perfect presence of the Lord we will see one day. This great fellowship of all the saints throughout all history, His glory on full display. But yet, the already that we have in Christ is sometimes not as comforting as we want it to be. We want things to be right now. We want you to fix everything now. But he hasn't left us alone. He's still our shepherd. He's still guiding us. I want you to turn to John 14 with me. As we wrap up, I want you to see how Jesus continues as our shepherd. John 14, I'm just going to read one through four. He knows who we are as sheep. Because he starts... Chapter 14 with verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. We've heard that before. Why? Because he knows sheep are fearful creatures. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. This is Jesus, our shepherd, telling, him, telling us, if you are my sheep, there's a room in my father's house. Why? Because I told you. Believe me. And I'm not leaving you alone because I'm coming back for you. Our shepherd is still guiding us. Our shepherd is not done with us. Our shepherd is preparing a place for us for eternity. Our shepherd is coming back. 
So as we conclude this morning, this song of confidence should stir confidence within us. This song, psalm of confidence should instill comfort within us. Let us not take this great text that we memorize as children that we repeat throughout our lives for granted. One of the things uh, that so stirred Martin Luther toward the Reformation and after the Reformation was the Psalms. That he would meditate on the Psalms sometimes for hours at a time, every day, sometimes just a verse or two, and just reflect on the amazing brilliance of who God is. This transcendent glory that we can't put into words. And these simple Psalms, six verses, tell us so much about ourselves, so much about our Lord, so much about our present, so much about our future. They should give us confidence in all things and comfort in Him. One more fact. We didn't talk about lambs at all. Lambs are the most prized. They have the best meat. They were um, needed to further the flock, and they were also required for the most heinous of sacrifices. And they were the weakest, and they, and they required the most care in the flock. How does Scripture describe our Lord? As a lamb. This is a picture of Christ. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Our good shepherd. Our chief shepherd, as Peter says. Our great shepherd, as the writer of Hebrews says, filled this role to the ultimate. By laying down his life for the sheep. By becoming a sheep. And the cross was the ultimate act of a shepherd. Laying down his life for the sheep, giving all that he had so that they could live. He died as a lamb, the weakest, so that we could live as royalty. Believe in the lamb. Let's pray. Our Lord, our God, our maker, our rock, our redeemer, our shepherd. You could stand here all day and not scratch the surface of all of your attributes. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Yahweh, I am present with his people, walking among them as a shepherd, getting involved in our mess, pulling us back from our wandering, providing for us when we can't provide for ourselves. We love you. We love you. Let us find our rest in you. Lord, I pray for people here today who are not able to rest. Who may know you as shepherds in their heads, but their hearts are full of fear and worry. You have conquered death. For you, death is but a shadow. Let us not fear, for you are with us. Let us find our confidence in you. Let us find our comfort in you so we can rest. For those of us here who are wrestling with who you are, let your spirit work through these words. 
let your scripture just pierce our heart and our soul. Find our confidence in you. Find our salvation in you that we would be unshaken in you. That we as your people come to know you intimately so that we can dwell in your presence today and dwell in your house forever. Thank you for the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. In his beautiful name we pray. Amen.